You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that am. Trying to get my voice up. Not working too good. Um, actually, this volume is down also, which makes things complicated. There we go. It's a little bit better, I think, right? It's like, why do I have to yell? All right. So, I, first of all, I apologize for this getting out late, especially considering the draft is starting very soon. But I just, I couldn't do it. There's no way. When we finished at 10.30 or whatever time it was last night, um, the thought of recording a podcast, um, I just I just couldn't do it. So tired. Um how about this for a change of pace? Because I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a little shocked. I, not that I've seen every single corner of the universe or whatever. Um, but let me say this. Most, what seems like most of Packers Twitter is doing backflips over this draft. I'm talking comments about like, this is the best second day of the draft I've ever seen. This is that, 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 that. Gutekunst is, is a genius. He's this, he's that. How about this for a change of pace? I woke up this morning a little sad. Not only did we not get any players that I liked, but in the first round, we drafted a guy that I didn't necessarily want. In the second round, with a lot of tight end options, or some tight end options available, we got one of the tight ends I didn't really like in Luke Musgrave, although I didn't see him very much, but we'll get to that. Then they drafted a wide receiver that I had not even seen yet because of the 145 prospects I had watched, he wasn't even in the top 145 as far as the consensus board went. Then when the third round came around, we again got a tight end, and this was probably my least favorite tight end that I watched, making the comment that essentially I just, I don't get it. I said he looks like the slowest human being. I I said he's running a a sweep behind the line. I got to time it with a sundial. Guy run, he's, he's a, he runs a 4-7, which is ridiculously slow. And I said, you know, 40 time isn't everything, but I, I just said, bottom line, I, I just don't see anything. I, I said, you know, he's at a very low level of competition, and he can't even dominate there. Although I did add he's a good blocker, okay? So I just want to start there. I'm not saying that's my final conclusion. You guys have a good day. 
as far as some people making the comment that this is one of their favorite drafts or anything like that, this isn't really even close for me from a standpoint of guys that I watched and guys that I liked. He picked from the bottom of my pile. And that makes me a little bit sad. At least, you know, Lucas Van Ness was a little, I was a little bit indifferent about, but I didn't care for him. The tight ends, I just didn't like. And then again, the wide receiver, what am I even going to say? I didn't even watch the guy. And here's the one other thing that kind of made me nervous about this. Last year, we all really loved the draft. I mean, I don't think there was a single Packer fan that didn't like it, and the national media liked it. And I think it's, it, from the standpoint now, it seems like it's probably going to be a pretty good draft. But what did he do in that draft? Pretty much the entire draft, he got fantastic value. He took guys that were way earlier than we all thought. Now, I guess Lucas Van Ness went probably about where we expected. And I think Musgrave went probably roughly where we expected. Not positive about Tucker Craft, and the wide receiver certainly wasn't. But every single time you sit there and you're looking at a pile of names and then the pick comes in and you go, wait, what? I just feel like usually, first round excluded, <laughs> that isn't the best, right? Uh, was it Josh Jones? And um, yeah, who are some of those other guys that, that we... The Sebra really big reach. I mean, I guess AJ Dillon was a reach. I like that pick. I'm 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 just speaking in generalities here, but it, all these things just kind of make me nervous. Okay. With that said, I've already come around to the first pick from the standpoint of I 100% get it from a process standpoint. I think it makes sense. In fact, borderline. If I had to reevaluate, I'd say that was probably the best possible pick we could have made. When you look at it from a, if, if you just left out the names and said, here's the deal, chief, you're not a scout, you don't know how to evaluate, you don't know what you're looking at, you're a freaking moron, but I can tell you this, we took an edge rusher that is massive and has borderline Bosa upside, he's got ways to go, but I'm, that's, that's his ceiling. Then in the second round, we got one of the top tight ends in the draft, Dane Brugler's number three, we'll get to all that. Then they go get a wide receiver who the Packers clocked running in the four threes with high-end athleticism, route running, speed, hands, yards after the catch. Oh, and by the way, he is a premier punt returner. Then in the third round, they double up on a tight end, the first guy being more of your receiving tight end, a little bit more of that, even though they're both guys are kind of a do-everything. You know, they're both big enough to block and capable enough receivers. They doubled up on tight end, getting a more big, robust, blocking Mercedes Lewis type of tight end. Which means on day two, they tripled up on offense to be able to help their quarterback, which is, I, I think if you would ask Packer fans, that's exactly what they would have wanted. I mean, of course, they wanted somebody in the first round, but again, reevaluating that now. Because I understand the, the nervousness of if we don't get a guy in the first round, we're not helping Jordan Love, we're not helping our offense, we've done enough for this stupid defense. On top of the fact that because we want offense, or many people wanted offense, what did we do? We, we got ourselves enamored with all the offensive pieces in the first round. And the, and the draft media is more than happy to get you excited about some offensive pieces, whether or not they're actually that good. But I think if we all step back and look at it and realize the offensive, I mean, you know, tackles and stuff were, were pretty good. And there's, there's some good pieces, but the wide receivers in particular and the tight ends were not a good value there, but became a great value in the second day. And Gutekunst goes and get a, gets a premier position, which is a position of need gets one of the best, if not the best players available, massively high upside, and then day two just loads up on offense with two massive, hulking, very popular tight ends in 
as I said, and I think I said this yesterday, I, as much as I was confident that we would get an edge in day one, I'm confident that we will get a tight end in day two. Why did I say that? Gutekunst was asked, where is the talent in this draft? He immediately says edge. What does he say right after that? Tight end. What does Gutekunst do? He takes what the drafts gives you. So when I personally have to take a step back and say, I don't like any of these guys, man. They all feel developmental. I mean, even Van Ness, like, he's got a ways to go, and we don't know that he gets there. Musgrave, I, he was the guy, I think, that when this all started, he was like the st- straight-up speed guy. You know, like, he, so, so there were all these crazy, like, Michael Mayer was the most well-rounded, polished tight end in the draft. Darnell Washington was this absolute physical freak of the universe. Um, the heck is his name? Dalton Kincaid is one of the more pure receiving tight ends we've seen in a couple years, I don't know, since Cal Pitts, I don't know. <laughs> but Musgrave was sort of next on that list, and he was just pure, unadulterated speed. That was prior to the combine, though. Then he runs a 4-6-1, which is not slow for a tight end by any means, but it's not, I don't think that's exactly what people were expecting. I could be wrong. I mean, Laporta ran a 4-5-9. Zach Kuntz, the absolute freak out of Old Dominion, ran a 4-5-5. So there's, there's certainly faster guys, although I guess we're kind of nitpicking between 6'1 and 5'9 and 5'5, five five, but I, I just, I, I thought he was the straight up physical speed freak and it, he's, he's kind of just, you know, a relatively fast tight end, but really they're all about the same speed. You know, anyways, and then, then Tucker Craft, for some reason I said ran a 4'7 and he's so slow and then the wide receiver I didn't like. So when I have to take a step back from that and look at what we did, you talk about process, but also where process meets need and also just straight up want from a fan base that is salivating, you know? Because sometimes want and need are, are different things. You may, for example, the Packer fans have always wanted more wide receiver help. Very rarely has wide receiver ever been the biggest need on the team, especially when you've got Devontae Adams on your team. It's just hard to argue that that's the biggest weakness on your team when Devontae Adams is right there, and it never was your biggest weakness, but it was always the biggest want, and it always would have been the biggest thing that would have got everybody excited. But in this case, when you look at it, I, I just think, you know, again, everybody gets mad day one because they forget that days two and three exist, but if you would have just told people, we're going to get a top end edge, and then we're going to follow it up with two of the top tight ends and a really talented wide receiver. Everybody be excited. And now the only thing we have left to do is decide whether we're happy about it or upset about it. And that is entirely our choice. If you think about it, it really is. It's entirely up to whether you choose to be happy or choose to be upset. Process is really the only thing we can kind of complain about. But the talent of the players, that's entirely up to us how much we want to be upset about it. Because some people will tell me, and rightly so, it's an appeal to authority to... uh, to say that Gutekunst knows and you don't, therefore, you should be happy about it. You're right. I don't know that Gutekunst is right. I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if Mel Kuyper's right. I don't know if PFF is right. CBS, NFL.com, ESPN, Todd McShay, Tom Pelissero, like who doesn't, like pick, there are hundreds and hundreds. And, and, and if we expand this out across every fan that has their own opinion, which your value is probably roughly about as good as most fans that watch these things, myself included, now we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of opinions. Whose opinion do you choose to believe? One of the things that I always find confusing is when people say, Gutekunst is an idiot because that guy would have been available later. Why do you say that? Because somebody that doesn't know told you that? 
because you thought they'd be available in the fourth round? That's interesting because we drafted him in the second. So now you're saying you're assuming that Gutekunst is the only one. How do you know that? Is it possible that maybe the NFL believes one thing and, and people just are stupid about it? If you don't believe that, you can see how many people fell. Think about it from this standpoint. If you were a GM and you drafted, let's say, I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba is not the greatest example. How about, um, let's say you drafted Darnell Washington in the first round. Nobody would have really been that upset because they didn't realize that the entire NFL community was all the way out on him. You would have been extremely wrong and nobody would have known. Presumably, I mean, it's entirely possible that all 32 teams are wrong about Darnell Washington, but let's assume that the most amount of information is in the NFL community among the scouts and, and everybody else with the massive amount of teams that they have and background checks and everything else. If you would have taken Darnell Washington, nobody would have been upset. Wow, that's crazy. He's the first. But, but and every single one of these brilliant commentators that you choose to believe would have told you it was a great pick. It satisfied a massive need. It's a great fit for the Green Bay Packers organization. Massive human being. Not surprising that he was, I mean, a little surprising, but not really surprising he was the first one off the board. When in reality, what the NFL body as a whole told you is that this dude was like a late third round pick due to, uh, I mean, certainly he has some red flags that we've briefly discussed. I saw somebody mention that there were some medical, potential medical issues, like he had swollen knees at the combine. So there were some issues. But do you get what I'm saying? The people that you trust don't know. And so if you look at, I mean, I saw some people saying uh, Lucas Van Ness, there's no reason to draft him. We could have traded back and got him. First of all, I don't even know why you would believe that. Because even the, the NFL draft community thought that Lucas Van Ness would go roughly in that range. He was a mid-first round guy. I mean, you have to be so deluded in your brain to believe that your exact draft order is the exact draft order of the NFL, which is shockingly ignorant because you can look and see that that's not the case based on what teams actually picked according to your draft board. But to sit there and say, no, 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 he's the 20th best and you took him at 13. You think you're that precise on his exact value? That's pretty shocking. Now, don't get me wrong. It's entirely possible that there are some teams that are really high on some guys that the other 31 are not. But it's really unlikely. So specifically talking about that wide receiver we took in the second round, we can say that guy would have been available in the fourth, fifth round. Why? Based on the consensus big board? Based on the fact that nobody... And by the way, the, the amount of groupthink in the NFL draft community is why you never heard that guy's name. Because nobody else was talking about him. And nobody else has the guts, unlike a few other people, you know, like me and JJ or whatever, who are in Clayton, who are willing to just say, I don't know, man, it sounds stupid. Nobody else thinks this, but here's what I think. Right? And we, we've got some really stupid takes sometimes. But it's just, I'm just being honest with what I think. You know, I thought Mingo was the best wide receiver in the entire draft class back. And that was when he was like a third, fourth round prospect. I didn't care. I'm just telling you what I think. Why would I come on this podcast and regurgitate what everybody else is already telling you? What good does that do you? Right? I, I told you I had no interest in Brian Branch. It felt stupid saying it because everybody said he's by far the best safety in the class one of the better safeties we've seen in a little while like he's just and i watch him I'm like i don't get it i don't think he's good at all i don't know what to tell you fully acknowledging that I, I don't know football well enough to necessarily give you the best opinion but here's the other thing the reason why to some degree i do trust what i believe is and that is because i think there is too much confidence among nfl teams and this is what i talked about before where the maximum knowledge you can have let's just say hypothetically is 50 percent of the knowledge and i don't even know if it's that much in terms of, in other words, one, if you had 100% of the knowledge, you would know exactly how good he'd be in his NFL career. When you look at the hit rate, as compared to just random picking 
or whatever. Uh, again, statistics will basically tell you random picking is about as good as you'll find for most GMs. It's basically like, like what you hear about the stock market. In other words, if you got a random fan to go in and do a mock draft, he would do just about as well as most GMs. Because the, the, despite their top-end knowledge and, and their ability to understand things at a much higher level than I do, that knowledge's ability to correlate into actually making the right decision is very low. So again, there's no point in not having your own opinion. And again, to bring this back full circle, my opinion, I didn't care for the guys too much. But because nobody knows, all we can do is look at the process and say high upside edge, high upside tight end. I wouldn't necessarily say high upside wide receiver, which is why it's a somewhat unusual pick, but it's also why I have more confidence in it. Because I'll be honest, when I and, and I thought maybe I was being biased, but when I went back and watched him, or I shouldn't say went back, when I watched him for the first time, and it was just a little bit during the live stream we did yesterday, which I probably shouldn't have done because it's like you're not even doing anything, you're just watching, but I don't care, I needed to go see him. I just instantly fell in love with the guy, and I really feel like 100% he would have at least been in my like category, if not in my love category. In terms of like, I really, really, really like this guy. And I was stunned that nobody else said, he, it said they even liked him. Well, a couple things. Again, groupthink. But also, it's not entirely true that nobody liked him. Let me just bring up this one tiny nugget on this one player specifically. And then we'll kind of back up again and go through each of the prospects a little bit. And uh, just do a rough overview of where we're at. I was really hammering this yesterday because everybody was really, really upset about that wide receiver pick because it was so stupid because nobody knows. and I can't believe these stupid idiots, blah, 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 blah. And again, it's based on what? It's just based on I've never heard of him. Well, what does that mean? You haven't even watched him. How do you not like him if you haven't watched him? Gutekunst like him. Does, does that have any value? You know what I mean? Again, this is, this is sort of my issue. Mel Kuyper, I don't even know where Mel Kuyper had him. I'm just picking on the guy because he's easy to make fun of. Mel Kuyper says he's a fourth-round pick. Brian Gutekunst says he's a second-round pick. Do you believe Mel Kuyper over Brian Gutekunst? Why do we do that? It's the, most, it's the most insane thing on planet Earth. We believe these guys who would never even be offered jobs as, as GMs or even scouts for that matter. Most of these, I mean, some of them have been scouts, but, but some of these analysts like Kuyper, I don't even think they'd be offered a job as a scout. And yet you trust his opinion over Gutekunst, who, by the way, not only was a scout, but was such a good scout, he became, you know, whatever his title was, you know, one of the, the premier scouts. And then he was so good at that, he became an NFL GM. And by the way, he has a team of scouts underneath him helping do scouting, while him as a premier scout, well better than, way better than anybody that is doing this kind of stuff. You know, with the, I mean, Clayton really likes 33rd team, and, and, and that's, and as far as I'm concerned, makes a lot of sense, because you actually, 33rd team is guys that have been in the business. Now, I don't know exactly who's over there doing this stuff, and I don't know how much work they're actually doing, you know, as compared to what they were doing before, where you're, you're putting in, you know, 20-hour days, and so is the, your entire staff and all that kind of stuff. But at least you've got guys that have been there, done that a little bit, you know? But even they can't touch any one of these scouting staffs. One, one more anecdote, and then we'll get to this, and then after that we'll get to the, the part where we go over all the prospects. But I, as, as I told you before, but remember when Mike Mayock was, he was the guy. He was the top, and, and rightly so. Like he was the top guy. Everybody trusted his opinion the most. He was the, the best analyst that there, that there was. The Raiders hired Mike Mayock to go be their GM. Mike Mayock went in to be their GM, and I had heard from people in the know. This was on a podcast. It's not like one of those rumor things that was completely made up. It was a guy that does work with NFL teams saying this on his podcast. 
that the scouts, when Mike Mayock would talk about his position and his opinion on some of these prospects, the scouts were dumbfounded at how stupid he was, right? I mean, these are the guys working under him who are looking at him going, what are you talking about? And it was such an unbelievably embarrassing experience because Mayock just didn't know what to do. He wasn't, he wasn't even at the level of an NFL scout, much less a GM. He was extremely a fish out of water. He had lost the entire confidence of his scouting staff. They didn't believe in him. They, didn't, they, they, they couldn't believe that this television personality, essentially, it's a little unfair to him, but, but when you compare him to being an actual GM, that's what he was, a television personality, got elevated to this level above them and he doesn't know what he's talking about and remember when um every single that that year like every single one of their scouts got sent out during the draft like they didn't for some reason they didn't trust them or something they bent they basically kicked everybody out of the war room which was completely unprecedented none of those guys were allowed in they didn't want them in there they didn't want them seeing the final big board or something it was it was the weirdest thing ever and then after the season basically all of them got fired and they hired a new staff so that's what happens when the, the guy with actual credibility, right? Daniel Jeremiah is one of the top. He was like, it was Mayock and then maybe Daniel Jeremiah after that. Daniel Jeremiah is like one of the top guys now. Very respected, very smart, way smarter than me. This isn't me trying to make fun of Mayock saying he doesn't know what he's talking about. That guy's smarter than I'll ever be. But just to give you some perspective, we're trusting these guys over Gutekunst, right? Gutekunst tells you as one of the premier minds, all, all 32 GMs, by the way, are miles ahead of any analyst. I don't care what website or whatever you're using, Pro Football Focus, SIS, 3013, whatever it is, none of them can touch with a 10-foot pole any one of the 32 teams. That isn't to say that they're right, but the amount of information, experience, talent, ability, all of that stuff that is in any one of these teams is miles ahead of any analyst. And the fact that we look at these picks and go, ugh, these guys that don't know what they're talking about told me that this was a bad pick, so this is a bad pick. Why we choose to believe people that don't know over the people that do know, to the best of, of anybody's ability to know, I will never understand. It, it, it's basically even a clown show when you have these after, you know, after the pick or whatever, these guys come in, they're like, oh, he, this, these guys had a good draft, these guys had a bad draft, this is a good pick, this is a bad pick. Because again, it's a bunch of people who have no idea what they're talking about judging the best in the business. You got ex-football players on Good Morning America commenting on what scouts and GMs and, and vice presidents and all these guys who have been putting in hundreds and thousands of hours worth of work based mostly on groupthink, which the NFL draft community is rife with groupthink. Even I got sucked into it. It's why this whole time I was like, I think JSN is probably my top wide receiver. I didn't even like JSN. Same with Dalton Kincaid. Now, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Dalton Kincaid did go first, but I, again, even I got sucked into it. And I had to essentially get the backbone, which sounds stupid, but the backbone to say, I don't like JSN. Don't hate him. I mean, it's similar to Lucas Van Ness. I mean, he's fine. He's just not my favorite. He's not what everybody seems to hype him up to be. And I like Mingo better. I don't care what the community says and all that. I don't care. Just telling you what I like. Anyways. Jaden Reed, supposedly a terrible pick, right? It depends who you ask. Depending on what website you go to, Lucas Van Ness was either a great pick or a terrible pick or somewhere in between. CBS is what I'm going to focus on. We got a B-minus grade for Lucas Van Ness. B-minus is largely based on the fact that this is, this is a lot of projection. And by the way, somebody had mentioned, and this might even be a better comp if you talk about his ceiling. Again, it's going to sound stupid, but it's a ceiling thing, and that's J.J. Watt. 
based on the fact that J.J. Watt was, you know, a, a very much an inside edge guy, as weird as that sounds. But we got a B minus. Lucas Musgrave. Everybody assumed he was a second-round pick, blah, blah, blah. We got a C-plus grade. I don't mean to say this is an authority. I'm just giving you an idea of an opinion. Because we all seem to think that everybody's opinion is that Jaden Reed would have been available in the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th round. Okay, C-plus for Lucas Musgrave. There, and, and by the way, Pete Prisco gave us the B-minus. Chris Trapasso gave us a C-plus for, for Musgrave, saying he's kind of a one-trick pony. Then we get to Jaden Reed. Chris Trapasso, one of the top guys in the draft community, Gave us an A for Jaden Reed. Why would you give us an A for a guy that's a fifth round, fourth round, whatever prospect? Why would you do that? Here's what he had to say. Draft crush of mine. Smaller and didn't test through the roof, but is such a crafty route runner and has plus speed. Gets open routinely, flashes after the catch, and tracks the football tremendously. Contested catch winner. You got an A. And then we got an A- minus for Tucker Craft from Chris Trapasso. Not freaky specimen, but is a moose in the open field. Yard after the catch specialist. Strong in contested catch scenarios, but some easy drops appear on film. Like him uh, more than Musgrave, Chris Trapasso said. Clearly gave us a C-plus for Musgrave, A-minus for Tucker Craft. Now, I don't know if he means he likes the pick more or just likes him more generally. I guess we'll just take him at his word. He likes him more than Musgrave. So, anyways, uh, I'll tell you what. Why don't we take a break and we'll run through some of the different um, bits of information that we've got um, on the guys that we drafted and do what we did with Lucas Van Ness which is let's try to understand the, I, I think we get the process. Let's try to fall in love with the pick, I guess, would be what we're going to do. If you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. It would be greatly appreciated if you would consider doing that. Um, you could do so for as little as just one buck a month. If you wouldn't mind also checking out Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry, if you'd like to support a worthy cause. You can find them at FertileGroundRanch.org. Go see uh, if that is something that uh, aligns with your values and you'd be willing to support. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so worth noting, Dane Brugler, who's just a guy, but again, is one of the top guys in the draft community. He is the draft guy over at The Athletic, which is a very obviously massive website. And when you have all the money, as The Athletic does in, in as far as, you know, the online media space or whatever, you can hire the top people. Anyways, in his opinion, Lucas Musgrave was the third best tight end ahead of Darnell Washington. Tucker Craft was the fifth best tight end ahead of Sam Laporta. He had it, Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, Luke Musgrave, Darnell Washington, and Tucker Craft. So in his opinion, we got two of the top five tight ends in an unbelievably deep and talented tight end class, which is kind of the funny part because I, I, I tend to agree that it's like, oh man, there's a lot of really good tight ends. But also I looked at it and I was like, there's about... There's what? There's four that I like. And after that, I just don't really like any of them. But I think what that means is most people in the NFL community, obviously the Packers and everybody else, would largely disagree with my assessment of Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft, you know, Schoonmaker, Brenton Strange, Davis Allen he has here is also a third-round pick potentially, right? They see these guys still as really talented players. In fact, most years, the top tight ends in the entire draft are, are second round picks. That is to say, in other drafts, Luke Musgrave might be the best tight end in the entire draft, which I've always wanted the Packers to get the top guy, which we didn't technically get this year. But I always want us to get that, you know, there's always that one tight end that's like really good. It's like, oh man, we could get that guy. We've been needing a tight end, da da da. And we just never do it. And and by the way, this is another thing that I really like that I thought about yesterday. The other thing that's great about loading up when the talent is deep is because some of these positions, and, and maybe all these positions, and in different years, you're not going to have this much talent. So when it's plentiful, go get it. Who knows when we're going to have this many tight I mean, look how many years it's been since we've taken a swing at some of the premier tight ends. I mean, aside from like third round, we just we don't even bother. This year, we doubled up. Why? Because, it, because it's plentiful. And next year, probably won't be. And the year after that, probably won't be. And the year after that, probably won't be. And who knows the next time there's going to be this deep of a tight end draft. Some people have said this is like the deepest they've seen. So if that's what the draft is offering you, take it. Same with Edge, right? It's First of all, it is a need, but also extremely talented at the top and extremely deep. If you don't take advantage of it now because, well, I'd rather have this position technically a little bit over that position, even though they're both needs, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if you don't address the need when it's plentiful and staring you in the face, what happens when next year the pick comes around and there are no real top edge rushers in this draft? Now you're screwed. And so some of the people were talking about, I saw, I think PFF was talking about the Lions taking a linebacker early. And the thought process essentially was, well, I guess I could understand it because there's not a lot of tight ends. So if you want one, you got to take one early and a little bit you know, earlier than his value. But I, I just think that's the most opposite, the most backwards thing you could possibly do. You're being handed. I mean, it's like a, you know, let's say a food truck comes around you know, once a week for your family to fill up. Then you never know what's going to be on it. It just depends what's ripe for harvest. And one year, the, the thing is just filled with the most beautiful ripe strawberries you've ever seen. 
And there's a couple other little things there, but there's not much. You can get a big old basket of strawberries because they're going to end up being a lot cheaper because there's a lot of them. Or you can overpay for just a tiny bit of little blueberries or whatever. And then next year, the thing comes around and or next week, the thing comes around and it's filled with blueberries and the blueberries are cheap. But I don't really need blueberries because I overpaid for blueberries last time. Now we really need, you know, some some meat, but the cart doesn't really have very much. The only meat that it has is kind of in the back and it's really expensive because it's like the only thing of meat. So do I overpay for it? You know what I'm saying? Take what the freaking cart is giving you. But I don't want that. I want that. Tough. The draft isn't for building the way you want it to be built. The draft comes along and it offers you what's available and you just take the best of what's there. Period. Well, what about this need? If you don't, if you still have a need after the draft, then you plug it in free agency. You figure it out after that. But you absolutely do not just start going through the draft plucking positions because you feel like it. Anyways, Lucas Musgrave. We went through a little bit of this before. We're going to do it again. Six, uh, if you want to do uh, scout speak, 6057 is his height. Six foot five point seven or whatever. Six foot five and a half, almost six six. 253 pounds from Bend, Oregon, 22.65 years old. Grew up in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, he's the one that was a big skier, won some uh, competitions as a skier. It's funny that we got a uh, skier and an ice hockey player with our first two picks. Uh, he started off in high school as a quarterback and defensive back. Then he moved to wide receiver and then later to tight end and defensive end when he bulked up to 230 pounds in high school. Uh, he missed the final two games in high school in 2018 due to a concussion. Earned first team all-class tight end, defensive end, senior year. Team best 31 catches, 563 yards, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Three-year letterman in lacrosse, champion alpine ski racer, also lettered in track, sprints, relays, throws, and jumps. Was a three-star recruit, number 37 tight end in the 2019 recruiting class, number five out of Oregon. Uh, he got uh, offers from Oregon and Oregon State, and was people were very surprised that he chose Oregon State over Oregon, the bigger program, because of the hometown feel of Oregon State. He's got a younger brother, Colt, who's also a skier and linebacker. His dad, Doug, was an All-American high school quarterback in the Denver area and signed with Michigan in 1989 before going to Oregon. And then medical school where he became an orthopedic hand surgeon. His uncle, Bill, was a four-year starting quarterback at Oregon and fourth-round pick, number 106 overall in the 91 draft by the Dallas Cowboys. He played seven seasons in the NFL before becoming an assistant coach the last 25 years, including eight different stints as an offensive coordinator at the college or NFL level. He was a uh, with the Eagles in 98, the Panthers through 2000, University of Virginia 2021, 2001-2002, uh, uh, Jaguars 03-04, Vikings, Raiders, Broncos, and then Cal. Uh, he did go to the Senior Bowl again, 461, and we can look at his RAS, but 461-40, 154-10-yard split, which I think was the best in the entire class. 36-inch vert, 10-5 broad, and then his pro day, 4-4-1 short shuttle, 7-0-9-3 cone, 19 bench press reps. But Musgrave, um, his RAS, 9-7-8. He didn't have anything below a 5 on any of these things, but his short shuttle, 4-4-1, was a 5-6-9. Bench press, 5-7-3. Nobody cares about that. His weight at 253 was a 6-6-4. 3-cone at 7-0-9 was a 7-6-8. Everything else was at least... A nine. His vert at thirty six was an eight point nine nine. We'll call that a nine. But his uh, his best was his ten yard split at one five four, which is a nine eight nine. Some of the comps over here by um, RAS, and I think you're going to probably like this. 
Travis Kelsey is the first comp. Greg Olson is the second comp. Then Bucky Hodges, Jelani Woods, who I think we all really liked back in the day, and Daniel Bellinger. That's some serious, uh, seriously intriguing comps there. We'll go through strengths, weaknesses, and overall here. It says, uh, tall, limber frame with massive wingspan, impressive one-step acceleration to quickly reach his top-end speed. His one-five-four second 10-yard split led all tight ends at the combine. Loose flexibility in his lower body and hips to stem defenders and create a step of separation out of his breaks. Races to his landmarks as a route runner and works back to help give his quarterback a target. Above average hand-eye coordination to fluidly spear the football away from his body mid-motion. Stretches out his stride to be a rack playmaker in the open field. Run after the catch. Physical hands as a blocker and uh, at the top of his routes, knocking defenders off balance. Uh, efficiently sets a foundation as a blocker and fires into his target. Excellent blocking leverage and stays balanced through contact. Has worked hard to improve his technical approach as a blocker. His coaches call him a team-first guy and coach-pleaser who doesn't want to let down his teammates. Has special teams experience, including a blocked punt as a junior, which he returned for a touchdown. So, for the record, our first two picks, special teamers, that blocked punts, Musgrave returned it for a touchdown. Weaknesses. Unnecessarily relies on his body at times to finish catches. Two to nine touchdown to drop ratio in his career. Will play in overdrive at the catch point, leading to drops, inconsistent results on tight window throws, and when finishing through contact, urgent route runner, but would benefit from improved tempo. Gets his wing his weight too far out as a blocker and can be tossed. His angles in the run game can be more consistent. Medical feedback will be important after he missed the final 11 games of his final season because of a left knee injury. Have to assume those medicals came out well. Also missed the final two games of his senior year in high school because of a concussion. In summary, a two-year starter at Oregon State, Musgrave was a wide tight end in offensive coordinator Brian Lundgren's uh, run-heavy scheme, lining up both in line and in the slot. After two seasons as a backup behind two future Hall of Famers, or excuse me, (laughs) not even close, two future NFL players, not even going to bother to read their names, he became a starter as a junior, but his targets were limited in the Beavers' run-first offense, and he missed almost all his senior year because of injury. An impressive size speed athlete, Musgrave runs like a gazelle, elite high school track numbers for his size, and has lacrosse and skiing backgrounds translate to football with his core strength and hip fluidity as both a pass catcher and blocker. He blocks with outstanding body control and leverage to be a physical edge setter and engage defenders at the second and third levels. Although he still needs to improve his sustained skills and steadiness as a pass blocker, Overall, Musgrave must continue to build up his football resume and overall consistency, but he is a high-level athlete with the route running and blocking talent to be a productive starting combo tight end in the NFL. He should be the first ever Oregon State, blah, 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 blah. First or second round pick, number 29 overall. Just to be clear, on his big board at 29 overall, that was not only ahead of Darnell Washington, but Jalen Hyatt, Zay Flowers, Quinton Johnston, B.J. Ojolari, Emmanuel Forbes, Keely Ringo, Osiris Torrance, Mozzie Smith, I mean, you know, Josh Downs, Joe Tipman, Felix Anyudike Uzama, Will McDonald, who went early. He really, really likes Luke Musgrave. And again, essentially had him as a first-round pick. PFF was a little bit lower on him, but certainly not all the way out. Uh, number five tight end, number 49 overall. So fair value for the Packers. Just says, uh, tremendous athlete, but his college career has been littered with bad luck. That has kept evaluators from seeing his best for any length of time. 
His four seasons in college included the COVID-19 shortened 2020 season where he caught 12 passes for 142 yards. This past season where a knee injury ended his year after just two games. The start of the 2022 season highlights why NFL teams will like him, though as he averaged 3.38 yards per route run while totaling 89 uh, and 80 yards in the first two games of the season. Well, this is interesting. Pros, elite speed for the tight end position, broke 20 miles per hour at the Senior Bowl. I want to look and see how many tight ends have cracked 20 miles an hour. See, and th- this is the interesting thing, too, because 40 time, all that testing stuff, it'll give you a relatively... Well, th- th- there's two things here. Number one, it'll give you a relatively good idea of their speed, but it's not everything. Number two, sometimes these things just don't necessarily even gauge their 40 time properly, depending on how well they tested. For example, the wide receiver that we took next supposedly ran like a 4-4. The Packers said they clocked him in at like 4-3-7. But here's the other thing to keep in mind. I just saw recently somebody had talked about how the best way to gauge speed in terms of, you know, if you wanted to gauge their miles, uh, projected miles per hour would be something like their 40-yard dash minus their 10-yard split. I don't know exactly how that works, but remember, he had the fastest 10-yard split of any tight end. So probably a good indication that his play speed is actually going to be pretty solid. Lab-built frame with large hands, linebackers and safety just sort of fall off of him in coverage. Contact doesn't seem to phase him, able to get off press because of it. Uh, they mentioned he's raw, which obviously that's pretty much everybody we took. Uh, not shifty after the catch, doesn't use, utilize lower half as a run blocker. Very coachable. Player comp, Jared Cook. Ew. Where he wins, size, speed. Musgrave has a massive frame and can absolutely turn on the juice. His top speed blows most linebackers away, and his size is too much for defensive backs to handle. What's his role? Vertical threat. Get Musgrave going down the field, and it's like having another receiver. See? We'll we'll get there. Trying to make him a possession receiver would be a mistake. That's probably what we got Tucker Craft for. Where he can improve? Route running. If the routes need any semblance of nuance or sharp breaks, Musgrave probably looked uncomfortable executing it on tape. The good news is he's scary enough downfield to demand cushion and has the tools to improve as an underneath route runner. It is really cool to think that this is another form of what we get in Christian Watson. I'm not talking about similar speed or anything like that, but it's, it's a way of stretching out the defense. If you just think about the two tight ends we got, you could easily see For example, Musgrave just screaming down the seam, and then either a wide receiver or possibly another tight end just coming in underneath. So with Christian Watson's speed flying down the field, the safety has to do what? He's got to freaking get back. Musgrave is going to pull the linebackers back, and that's going to leave a lot of work underneath. Or just go right over their head. If they can't get back fast enough, just lob it over, get it to Musgrave or to Watson. But again, the whole point is spread this defense out. Don't let them compress. You better get back. You better get ready. Stretch the field as much as possible. Uh, 2022 advanced data. Receiving grade was a 79. Run blocking 54. Red zone grade was a 48, which makes sense. He's he's a more of a speed threat than a possession work in space kind of a guy, at least for now. Yards per out run 338 is absolutely insane. 338 for a wide receiver is stupid. Contested catch rate is only 33%. On these scales out of 10, they give him a 9 out of 10 on speed, which is incredible. Again, this is this is what I thought coming into this. This was his whole thing was this guy is blazing fast. And then you saw the 40 time and it's like, eh, I guess he's pretty average. But I'm guessing this is a 40 time versus play speed type of situation. And then the 2023 draft testing, Musgraves 461, 40, 36 inch vert and 10 foot five broad jump all backed up his billing as one of the best athletic projections in the NFL draft class. 
pretty much everything except his weight and arm length were above the 80th percentile, with the biggest being his broad jump at 10.5, which is roughly the 90th. Overall, Musgrave has the goods. He just doesn't have the refinement. Gee, that sounds like <laughs> Lucas Van Ness, doesn't it? Only played two years, needs more time, more refinement, but he's got the upside. Goes on to say, the good thing is he can still contribute due to his tools while developing into a more complete pass catcher. Again, very similar to Van Ness, very similar to what we got in Christian Watson and a lot of the guys that we draft. They've got such an unbelievable ceiling that they'll be, or or, or I I shouldn't even say, they have such unbelievable tools that they're going to be able to do something. Even if Lucas Van Ness just blows guys up and creates havoc for now, cool. Even if he just sets an edge, cool. Right? And then we'll slowly start to develop from, from there. Um, you know, if you, if you look at Musgrave, maybe all he does right now is just run vertical routes down the seam. I mean, obviously he's going to do more than that, but like in terms of his actual high-end ability, just like we said with Christian Watson last year. I mean, he can run in a straight line. We know at least that much, and then we can work on him from there. I'll add this one final note. Musgrave, as much as I didn't necessarily care for him, was essentially, and I think Tucker is about the same thing, essentially incomplete grades. Um, there's, there's very little tape. In fact, I just found a, I don't know if there is anything for Musgrave on my thing, so I probably just watched him on YouTube, which isn't great. And then I looked for Tucker Craft and he wasn't there. They just added a Tucker Craft video. So I, I got to actually watch him for the first time. So both of these guys have relatively incomplete grades because there's just some little YouTube videos. And I haven't really been able to watch them a ton. So I'm very excited. I have not watched Musgrave since the pick. Very excited to go back and see if I can see that speed on display. Because obviously it's there. Speaking of watching guys, Jaden Reed. So when we drafted Jaden Reed, immediately if you saw the live stream, it was a whole lot of what happened now? Now, I I was actually somewhat excited because everybody was so angry. Everybody that saw the pick before me. And I'm thinking, what did we just do? I'm thinking positionally, we got something that doesn't, we got a quarterback or we got, you know, something like that. And then I see wide receiver Jaden Reed. I'm like, oh, dude, we got a wide receiver. Why is everybody so pissed? But it was just because nobody heard of him and we wanted somebody that we've heard of before or whatever, but which I get. It's like, that's kind of weird and that kind of sucks. But dude, we got a, we got a tight end and a wide receiver. That's pretty awesome. But immediately I went and watched him. And like the first time I saw him just come off the line was like, oh, dude. Again, I've, I've said speed is hard to gauge. You can see it with him, and you can see the way he comes out of his break. It's one of those things, and he's got that second gear, which is kind of crazy. He runs, and he looks pretty fast, and then he'll hit that second gear, and it's like, oh, my goodness. And you can see him doing that stuff like coming out of his breaks. You know, he'll run like a corner route or something, and he'll come up, and he'll have a real sharp break, and then he'll also hit that second gear, and so the separation he gets, you see where it's like he's running with the corner, he's running with him, running with him, and then boom, he is just far away from him and wide open like holy crap and then on top of that and i didn't get to watch a ton because again i was doing the live stream so i didn't you know all michigan state wanted to do was run 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 quarterback wasn't very good i didn't see him catch very many balls but you can see that punt return mentality when he gets the ball in his hand he always gets more than you would expect i'm guessing if the you know i think um the heck is that thing called nfl advanced analytics thing but they track things like yards after the catch above expected or something maybe they do i don't know i'm guessing he'd be real high with that because he always is able to kind of shimmy shake and find a way to get that extra yard or two. There are times, you know, it'll be like a wide receiver screen and you're like, there's nothing there. I mean, I understand you got to make, and he'll, he'll go from getting like, instead of getting that one yard that he got just from catching it and getting smoked, he'll kind of get around him a little bit, get two, three, four yards, 
It's not that great, but it's just, again, uh, above expected. You're watching it and thinking that's not going, oh, ooh, all right, you got a couple. And here's the other thing. At six foot 185, this is a very not Packers pick. This doesn't fit Lucas Van Ness or Christian Watson or Lucas Musgrave or even Tucker Kraft for that matter. This is not a Packers pick at six foot 185 pounds. What is it then? It's one of those exception to the rule type of things. This is one of those, typically we don't like this style of receiver, but in, in terms of function, in terms of talent, we're willing to make an exception for Jaden Reed, which again would completely fly in the face of, of the general notion that this is a complete, and again, Goot could be wrong, but a complete uh, reach and how garbage he is and everything else. Gutekunst is looking at it and saying, if this guy was six foot two, 205, 10 pounds, he would have been our pick at 13. <laughs> right? We don't generally draft guys like this, but he is so exceptional that we took him in the second round above a lot of guys that other people think are just fantastic football players. And I'll, I'll be, again, I thought I was being biased, but then I went back and watched Tucker Craft and I didn't like it. So I, I don't think I'm just biased in terms of watching these guys. I went back and saw Jaden Reed, and he may have been in my one of my love categories because I just, my jaw hit the floor instantly. Maybe it would have been like at the very least, I don't know. But I'm, I'm actually upset that I didn't watch him because it would have been great if I could have seen him. In fact, I wonder if somebody, I bet somebody recommended him, and I just didn't get to it. But I'm upset because it would have been nice to at least have one guy that was in my love or like column that got picked. And I would have been the one, I told you he's so good, huh? But I didn't get the opportunity because I didn't watch him. But anyways, let's look at him. Jaden Reed. Dane Brogler had him 10th out of Michigan State, third round prospect. And even that, if you think about it, it's not that crazy, right? Yeah, he was the 10th best. And look at all the guys, you know, Josh Downs was there. Tyler Scott was there. Cedric Tillman was there. Mar ah, Marvin Mims might have been gone. I don't know. These guys were all there. But what's interesting, he had him ahead of Rasheed Rice, ahead of Jonathan Mingo, ahead of Tank Dell, A.T. Perry, right? Again, a lot of people were in on him. Nobody knew about him, though. I don't know how. It's that stupid consensus big board where, you know, he's one of those guys where half of the draft community has him just completely off the board or seventh round pick or something ridiculous. So that when this is a guy, in fact, you know what? Colin must have, oh no, he was on the consensus board. It, it just sucks that there is a top 10 receiver that I didn't watch after watching all these prospects. Infuriating. But anyways, five foot 10, five 107. So he's, I would call him 5'11". PFF calls him six foot. We'll call him 5'11". 187 pounds out of Naperville, Illinois. That's two out of our three picks being from Illinois. So we probably got a couple Bears fans on the team. Grew up in Chicago's West Side. Started playing football at age 10 at Pop Warner in Oak Park. Uh, in junior high, he moved to Plainfield in the Chicago suburbs. Became teammates with quarterback Peyton Thorne. Don't know who that is. He was a defensive back and then a wide receiver. Or he was used more as a defensive back than a wide receiver, but both. Reed earned first-team All-State honors and was named the team MVP. Three-star recruit, uh, number 261 wide receiver in the 2018 recruiting class, number 46 recruit in Illinois. Just goes to show how many wide receivers are coming out. Also, why there's so many good wide receivers coming into the NFL. There's just so many. Um, his father, Sabian, died of kidney and heart failure during Jaden's sophomore year in high school. That's horrible. Uh, Reed's academics suffered as a result, which caused him to be overlooked as a recruit by major programs. He did receive three scholarship offers and committed to Western Michigan over Miami, Ohio, and Toledo. After a freshman All-American season in 2018, Reed entered the uh, transfer portal with the hopes of landing at a Power 5 program. Thorne had recently signed with Michigan State, and Reed decided to rejoin his former teammate in East Lansing. They both redshirted in 2019. He graduated with a degree in communications. Reed accepted his invitation to the 2023 Senior Bowl. 
Um, again, four four five forty. Which again, the Packers had them at I think four three seven. So I don't know where they clocked them or when or how or what, but they certainly didn't see four four five. Uh, Jaden Reed's RAS is actually relatively low. It's a six seven four. Again, very unusual pick for the Packers. Just goes to show how much they like him. Most of that is his height and weight, right? Five ten one eighty seven. Um, but he, he didn't run a three. Well, he did. What was, did he run a three cone? No, he did not run a three cone. Um, his short shuttle was a four, two, nine, which is a five, two, eight, uh, RAS grade, I guess. His explosion grade was just okay. 33 and a half inch vert was a four, three, one. His 10, one broad is a six, three, zero, but his speed obviously was great. And that's, that's even with, uh, but I actually have the ability to edit that. So if I edit it down to a four, three, seven, um, Changes it almost up to a seven. It's a six nine five RAS. Um, it puts his forty times as far as his speed. So, yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited to get back into. It. I mean, after day three of the draft, because today is going to be just ridiculous with uh, draft coverage and whatnot. Hopefully, we get a lot of people in there because I can't talk for seven hours straight. So I can't even talk for an hour straight. I mean, uh, podcast I can, but just doing it live with nothing happening is is tough. But get enough people in there. Maybe I'll just go watch some tape and put up some clips or something. Anyways, Jaden Reed, uh, his strengths, above average speed on vertical patterns as a returner. Uses subtle hesitation to lull corners and create stride separation. Cornerbacks have a tough time matching his foot quickness at top of his routes and acceleration out of his brakes. Impressive hand strength at the catch point. Surprisingly effective finisher on contested balls. Maintains his focus through contact. And when adjusting to throws away from his frame, feisty perimeter blocker who frustrates defenders. Average 14.9 yards per uh, punt return with three career touchdowns. Also returned kicks, averaging 17.5 yards. That's not very good. Served as a team captain in five games in 2022. Caught a pass in all 31 games he played for the Spartans. One of only eight players in Michigan State history to reach 18 career touchdown grabs. Weaknesses, unimpressive body type with slender build and limited length. Now, again, this is why the Packers generally don't go this route, because you can't improve on that. Here's here's what's kind of funny, though, in terms of the take what the draft is giving you. This is what the receivers were, right? I mean, this is what the draft was. It was under impressive receivers, but undersized. But again, I, I just want to emphasize, if if this guy was instead of six foot 185 or 5'11", 185, if he was six foot even just 200, it would have been a very different story. Will struggle to escape the jam once press corners get their hands on him. Needs to develop his hand technique in his release and at the top of his routes. Occasionally negates his foot quickness with excessive step off the line or mid-route. That's coaching stuff. Broken tackles were scarce on his senior tape. Yeah, well, you don't need to break tackles if they can't touch you. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Drops too many easy ones, accounted for three fumbles in the 2022 Penn State tape. His senior year was marred by multiple injuries, including a foot injury in preseason camp, left hip issue, and he missed one game after he collided with uh, the team bench and required stitches for the deep laceration on his back. Jeez. Summary. Three-year starter at Michigan State, Reed was a perimeter receiver and offensive coordinator Jay Johnson's offense. Although his senior year fell short of expectations because of injuries and the Spartans' offensive struggles, he accounted for 46 explosive plays, which are plays 20 yards or more. Over the past two seasons, it became just the third player in school history with multiple punt return touchdowns on the same season. Reed has outstanding foot quickness and uh, skillfully throttles his routes speed to separate from coverage. Despite dropping too many easy ones, his focus is heightened on contested windows, and he shows a knack for timing his leaps and snatching the football off the helmets of defensive backs. 
Overall, Reed will have a tougher time overcoming his slight size versus NFL defensive backs, but his speed, route tempo, and downfield ball skills are ingredients of a potential NFL playmaker. With his few technical tweaks to his game, he has NFL starting ability, slot and outside, and adds value as a return man, third round grade number 80 overall. And again, as much as it's like, oh, third round, that sucks, he had him ahead of Rasheed Rice and Jonathan Mingo. Jonathan Mingo is a six foot two, 220-pound guy running 4'4", four, four, and he's like, yeah, I'll take this slender guy with a bunch of injuries. That's what Brugler said. Then if we head over to PFF, they really did not care for him a ton. They had him as the 15th ranked receiver, number 122 overall, but said he's a Swiss Army knife through his college career. He's been effective no matter what he's been asked to do. Complete three-level route runner, isn't limited in any way, has another gear downfield. That's exactly what I've been saying. He'll run and he looks pretty fast, and then all of a sudden he'll, you know, when that ball gets in the air, suddenly he just kicks it into gear. More than enough speed to get vertical in the NFL. Fighter at the catch point, may not have ideal size, but doesn't play small. You know what, you know what's funny, too? I kind of have a feeling that as much as Packer fans wanted Jalen Hyatt, we got Jalen Hyatt. It's just, this is the better version of Jalen Hyatt than Jalen Hyatt. Everything we thought and wanted Jalen Hyatt to be, I think that's what we got here. Now, if you didn't want Jalen Hyatt, in, I'm, I'm talking in theory. I didn't want Jalen Hyatt but because I watched him and he didn't look fast to me. But I loved the idea in theory. Why? Because I said, hey, look what, uh, look what Miami's doing. They've just got a ton of speed all over the field. And what did the Packers do? Not only did they add size, but we've got one of the faster receivers in the NFL in Christian Watson. We added another speed threat in Reed, and then we go get a speed threat tight end. So we got size all across the field. Watson, Musgrave, Kraft, DeGuara, Dillon, and we have speed all over the place. Jones and Dillon are both relatively fast, but top end speed, Reed, Watson, Musgrave. I mean, it, again, in theory and on paper, this is a heck of, a, of an offense. But obviously guys have got to be able to get coached up and, and uh, meet those ceilings. Some of the cons, um, relatively short arms for a receiver. Older prospect, he's going to turn 23 in April. Uh, player comp, they have Andre Roberts. Where he wins, route running. Reed is one of the class's crisper route runners. I definitely agree with that. Honestly, I, I think Zay Flowers was my favorite in terms of route running. I'm not sure that he wouldn't be my second favorite. There's probably some competition there, but Zay was like my favorite in terms of just being able to very clearly see that bing, bang, boom route running. Scouting term, don't worry about it. You wouldn't know, you ignorant idiot. You're so stupid and you smell. But I, I just, I really, because it looks so smooth, and again, when he comes out of his break, he just kind of explodes in a way that he's just, what? remember when Devante, and I'm not talking, don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing him to Devante, but do you remember when Devante, he would come out of his break and somehow he just had what seemed like five yards of separation. It's like, how did that even happen? He just flies, but it's so smooth that it doesn't look, you know, like with, with guys like Zay and some other guys, you can see it. Like they put so much like just, just sass on those routes, you know? They let you know that they just broke your ankle. This, this is much more smooth, much more subtle. Like, whoa, where'd he go? How'd, how'd he get over there? Anyways, it goes on to say he knows how to stem to gain leverage, sell his brakes, and pace his routes to create separation. And to that, a plus athletic profile. And it's easy to see him being productive at the next level. What's his role? Movable number two or three. Reed's sudden route running ability allows him to wear a lot of hats on offense. He may not ever be a focal point, but he can still bring value in a number of different roles. And that, that's an important thing to remember as well. You got guys like PFF and everybody else looking at him saying, this guy's never going to be a number one. And as Packer fans, we look at that and go, okay. <laughs> and really, you have to discount that. If you're scouting the guy and you, th you don't think he can ever truly be a number one, you have to discount that. But if you're a team looking for a truly elite or dominant let's say number two or even number three receiver, 
Not to say you wouldn't take a number one to be a number. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, but it's it's not as big of a knock if you don't need him to be that number one X receiver. We've got Christian Watson. We've got Romeo Dobbs. We just need another guy. We don't need necessarily Devontae. Again, you will always take Devontae if he's available. It doesn't matter if you have two other Devontae's. If a Devontae's sitting there, you don't go, ah, I'll just take this guy because we don't need a number one. That's not a thing. But the point is, whereas some teams who need that number one would not draft him because he doesn't fit that need, that's not a... Uh, definitive qualification for the Packers. And then it says where he can improve playing through contact. Reed was, uh, Reed has to find ways to keep his body clean at the next level. He has a completely different, re- he's a completely different receiver when defensive backs get their hands on him. Too many routes get taken off course. 2022 advanced data, receiving grade 71, receiving grade versus man coverage 65 versus zone 74. Not super surprising. Yards per route run 183 is not super fantastic. Contested catch rate, 65%. Contested catch rate has to be the dumbest metric ever. There almost is no correlation in terms of, you know, every time you look at like these big tight ends and then these tiny receivers, I would guess if you average them all out, like giant tight ends versus tiny receivers, there's no, there's no difference. He's the tiniest person on planet Earth and has a 65% contested catch rate. What did our tight end Musgrave have? 33%? Uh, anyways, in terms of their little... uh charts here or whatever. The highest one they had was his route running. They gave him an 8 out of 10. The testing, uh, nothing super great. The only one above even 50% was the 40-yard dash of 4.45. It says, for a player that's supposed to be a vertical threat, his athletic testing was less than ideal. He didn't showcase the kind of suddenness that can get away from NFL corners without size. And honestly, this might have been a guy who was higher on some people's boards until the combine came around and they saw the testing and just thought, that ain't good enough. But again, if you're the Green Bay Packers and you have your own personal um, testing and your timing, and you're coming up with four three sevens when the, when you know other people are getting four four fives. You didn't mind the testing as much. It was right in line with what you said. Finally, Reed may not have that high of a ceiling at his size, but his polish. Uh, but he's a polished high floor player nonetheless. All right, real quick, let's sneak the last one in here. Oh dang it! I'm so mad at myself. So. <laughs> Before we get to Tucker Craft, I'm, I just saw somebody reminded me of this. This is so upsetting. Um, somebody tagged me three freaking days ago. Three freaking days ago. Packers, uh, Packer Islander, at Packer Islander, tagged me. Jim Nagy says, I don't understand the lack of love on here for Michigan State's Jaden Reed, who is one of the most complete wide receivers in this class. Jaden Reed has legit size compared to many smaller slot types, and he torched dudes all week at the, te- at the Senior Bowl. Smart teams know. I am so mad. And I, I commented on it. I said, I'm on it. And I was. I added him to the list. But of course, I didn't freaking get to it. Oh, as soon as I saw somebody, uh, a bunch of people started liking this thing that people tagged me in here, that, that uh, Packer Islander tagged me. In, and I'm like, why is everybody liking that? And I looked at it, and I instantly remembered that he tagged me in it. Instantly remembered that I wanted to go watch him. But that, that's the other thing to remember. The, the Packers are real big on, on what they see at this. I know, I know that the, the constant refrain is that the tape is all that matters or whatever, but there's been a long list of senior bowl guys that dominate the senior bowl that end up as Green Bay Packers. And I wonder if that's where that 437 came from, by the way, as far as. But yeah, if you go, I just retweeted it from Jim Nagy, but if you just go watch this one clip, I don't even know exactly who he's up against, but it's, it's so completely unfair. How quickly he torches him. But again, if you want to see everything about Jordan Reed, this is this is not the worst way to do it. Watch how, again, how they say he lulls people to sleep. 
watch the instant burst out of his brake, and then watch that second gear. And that's not even really necessarily the second gear I'm talking about, because that's kind of, you know, he's jogging and then hits his full gear. The second gear thing is when he's he's running and then still has more in the tank. But this is still a, a really good um, example of how the dude just, com- I mean, it's it's so embarrassing for that corner. Again, I don't know who that is, but it was never close. <laughs> he got, he the only time he ever got close to him is when Jaden Reed got, you know, ran past him and kind of brushed shoulders with him. And then it was just completely over from there. But man, I'm mad at myself. Packer Islander, I apologize, man. I, I'm, I'm so mad at myself. But again, one of the most complete receivers in this class. Anyways, we're already an hour in. I got to get rocking here. Who's next? Tucker Craft. Again, number five tight end via Dane Brugler out of South Dakota State. Second round pick is what he was expecting him to be ahead of Sam Laporta. Um, six, uh, six, zero, four, six. So six, four and a half, six, five, 254 pounds, 22 and a half years old. Same birthday as my daughter. Uh, born and raised in a small farming town population, just over 500. By the way, this guy's becoming a fast favorite of the fan base. I mean, his, his, we, we don't have time to get to his press conference. We'll get to that Gutekunst and all the players calls and all that stuff. But he, we were cracking up listening to him on his, uh, call. We had it streamed on the, on the live stream and he was the most cocky, but, but in a completely humble way, like he was cocky, but he didn't realize he was being cocky. He was like, yeah, I knew I'd be one of the first three to five tight ends. I really wasn't surprised at all when the Packers called me. And then apparently he was he had offers from Alabama to transfer, and there were and there were NIL deals, which uh, I'm starting to understand essentially means Alabama wants a guy. They go talk to some local companies, see if they'd be willing to sponsor him, which essentially means can you pay this guy hundreds of thousands to come over here and play with us? And then they do it. It's sort of like a legal way of doing illegal stuff. But he got offered hundreds of thousands of dollars to transfer to one of the biggest college programs, and he turned it down. And the reason he turned it down is because he said it was pennies compared to what he'd be signing in the NFL, which I guess technically is true because even his rookie contract is going to be significantly higher than a couple hundred grand. But it's just funny, man. He just oozes confidence. But yeah, he's got that small town vibe. If you look at some of the the videos going on about him at his draft party, he's in like this massive, looks like it's probably a barn. It looks like a garage, but it's like 10 of them stuck together, all cement walls, but just tons and tons of people in there. Which again, as we learned, is a great sign. Apparently, scouts care about the fact that nobody goes to their <laughs> their parties. He's got a big family and friends and all that stuff. But anyways, small farming population. Played multiple sports: basketball, football. Uh, at one point, he was a starting quarterback. He was primarily run first Wildcat quarterback. He was a no star recruit coming out. Wasn't ranked by online recruiting services. Didn't have any scholarship offers. But he attended several camps and started to receive attention from college programs. He received offers from several Division II programs, followed by South Dakota State, his first Division I offer. Committed almost immediately, became the first commit in the Jack Rabbit's 2019 recruiting class. However, Kraft visited Iowa State and started to draw looks from other FBF schools. He received an offer from Wyoming and was ready to decommit to South Dakota State, but the coaches convinced him to stay close to home. After the 2021 season, Kraft received six-figure NIL offers to enter the transfer portal, for several national programs, including Alabama, but he again stayed loyal to the relationship built at South Dakota State. His father, Doug, was a record-breaking NAIA wide receiver, three-time All-American at Huron University, and had a tryout with the Miami Dolphins. The field at Timberlake is named after Doug, who died in June 2013 while piloting a crop duster. So we now have, just to be clear, as horrible and tragic as that is, a starting quarterback who lost his father in high school. A wide receiver that we just drafted who lost his father in high school, followed up by a tight end that we drafted 
who lost his father while he was in high school. I, you know, that, that is horrible. But there, I, I just have to assume there's something to be said about the fortitude of that and these guys who picked themselves up. You know, you look at the wide receiver, he struggled academically, obviously, but he still continued to fight through. And I, you know, I feel bad putting almost somewhat of a positive spin on it because it's obviously horrific and there's nothing ultimately good about it. But you just have to wonder, when you get Jordan Love and Jaden Reed and Tucker Craft in the building together, to have a group of guys that not only can bond under these horrific and unique circumstances, but have this genuine... Remember, the locker room has been an issue, and a lot of it has to do with guys that got way too much money, and their heads are way too big, and this football thing isn't that big of a deal anymore. But you look at Jordan Love and Jay, and, and most of these guys, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Lucas Van Ness doesn't want it, but the odds that these guys are not going to have a much bigger picture and the importance of, of why you're doing this and wanting to support your other guys and support your quarterback and, and your, your other teammates and all this stuff, to have that mentality that there's something bigger than us that we're fighting for. That's what the Packers locker room has been missing. And I just can't imagine that there isn't at least some element of that in our locker room going forward. Young guys that haven't earned it yet, that are, that are not just there for themselves to be able to get their money, but to understand all of these guys. You know, they're, they're a bunch of young guys that, that can form a tight brotherhood. And I hope they do. I mean, man, oh man, Dobbs and Ture and Watson and Musgrave and Reed and, and Kraft and, and even Jordan Love. I mean, these are young guys. And, and I mean, the, the, the guy with the most play experience among the quarterback and, and, and receiving threats, aside from Josiah DeGuara, the guy that's played the most is who? Christian Watson, who played about a half a year? And again, that, that, that certainly has some negative elements to it. But these guys are going to grow together from day one. And I just feel like they have this ability to grow. I mean, again, I, I don't want to throw Rodgers under the bus. He's, he is one of the greatest that has ever done it in the entire NFL. I owe a lot to him. We all do for everything he did for us. But th there just seem to be these barriers to be able to get where you need to be to get to that next level, to be able to build the kinds of bonds. You know, it wasn't ever going to happen between Aaron Rodgers and Romeo Dobbs, the way that it has the potential. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but the potential of the camaraderie that these guys are going to be able to have. I mean, all of them. I mean, you know, even Watson and Dobbs and these guys are already working together with Jordan Love and building relationships. And who knows? Maybe they're going to end up hating each other. They got different personalities. I don't know. But the point is, it's it's very similar to what I talk about with some of these guys. Jaden Reed can't really improve on 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 where he's at, but Lucas Van Ness can. He can be a JJ Watt type player. Will he be? I don't know. But the point is. We're getting away from a situation in which we are at our ceiling. There was no getting better with what we had with Rodgers. It was what it was. And you just hope that it got back to being at least good. But, but there's certain deficiencies that the team has that will never be improved upon. Now, we are going to take a step back, right? I mean, Lucas Van Ness is, I mean, we're doing parallels here, talking about the, the drafting of Van Ness, but also like going from Rodgers to this new situation. You're taking a step back, but you're betting on the upside of it. There, there's... Every reason to believe Jordan Love will not be as good as Aaron Rodgers. And the offense is not going to be as good. You know, we lost Rodgers. We lost Devontae. We lost Mercedes. We lost Randall. We lost Lazar. We lost a lot of the veteran guys and all this stuff. But at the same time, we saw that peak. We saw that. It peaked. We have to, in a sense, tear down and rebuild. Not in the, in the same sense that most people talk about it, in terms of getting rid of all the players and, and rebuilding a new foundation. No, we have the players. But we're tear down, tearing down and rebuilding a locker room and a culture. 
because that's what's been broken. It's not the talent, it's the culture. And there's no guarantee that the culture will be rebuilt in a better way. But I can't help but look at the process again and the path and the vision and say, I can see it. Anyways, absolutely devastating that um, these guys lost their fathers. But I do hope that something positive comes of it and that these guys go on to have fantastic careers and that they can all grow together and get each other a bunch of money so they can support their families and uh, make their fathers proud, which, of course, they already have. But um, All right. He ran a 4.96 at the Combine. That became a 4.62 at his pro day. His 20-yard split was a 4.71. He got that down to a 4.60. And then his uh, 10-yard split was actually slower, which is kind of funny. 34 vert, 10-2 broad jump. Bottom line is his RAS is like a 9.5. It's, it's through the roof, just like the other players on this team with the exception of Jaden Reed. Strengths looks the part of an NFL tight end with adequate length, impressive agility and fluidity for his size with the ability to drop his hips and move laterally to shake defenders. Quickly enters his routes of speed to win vertical stems. Seams, excuse me, adjusts to the football naturally with reliable hands, quick pluck and transition skills with slows, uh, without slowing his stride. Effective in the quick game, frequently tramples defensive backs and breaks the first tackle attempt with his contact balance, above average strength in the weight room and on the field, fits his blocks and drives his feet to widen the edge or torpedo his target as a lead blocker, confident competitor with accountable character. My BS meter didn't go off when talking to him, he said. Uh, outstanding toughness and came back sooner than expected from his 2022 ankle injury. So it's funny. He says confident competitor with accountable character, which really, and he says his BS meter didn't go off. That's kind of what you heard when you listened to him. He certainly is oozing with confidence, but he doesn't have that sort of D bag feel to him. It almost, again, he sounds like a, he was a little bit drunk. We'll, we'll say that to, to begin with. But it, it didn't really come across as arrogant. It, was, it just really sounded like he was just answering questions honestly and didn't realize <laughs> maybe that, you know, when these guys get coached up on how to speak to the media, it doesn't exactly sound like this. Outstanding toughness and came back sooner than expected from his 2022 ankle injury. That was another funny line that he had said about his injury and how it was uh, essentially rebuilt. And he used this term that was like, I don't think that's a medical term. Something that they did, they... they uh, tight roped his knee together or something <laughs> like it's probably a real thing but it's just it sounded ridiculous and considering the whole thing sounded ridiculous i just kind of figured he's being ridiculous but uh he's like i don't want to say that it's it'll never happen again but it'd be pretty hard for that bad boy to break you know <laughs> like i'm embellishing it a bit but it's just it's like they rebuilt me better than before and i'm now unbreakable it's just such an unusual take on it. You know, usually it's just people are like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm feeling good, though. You know, I feel like, you know, trying to assure you, like, please don't think less of me because of this injury. I think it's going to be fine. And he comes in confidently like, heck, yeah, I broke it, bro. You should see this freaking tightrope that they put in my ankle. That'll never break again. I'm freaking bionic, dude. <laughs> I don't know why I'm making him sound like he's from California, but it's hilarious. Weaknesses of work in progress as a route runner. Must show better rhythm and timing patterns. Occasionally rounds the top of his routes and needs to develop better savvy with his footwork to deceive coverage. That's obviously, you know, stuff that can be coached. Too confident in his contested catch abilities and needs to continue working to open space. Go figure. Uh, guilty of running before he secures the football, leading to drops. Wasn't asked to match up with defensive ends on the edge and pass protection, but he has a base strength to hold up. Missed a chunk of his final season because of a right ankle injury versus the, uh, in his opener versus Iowa which required a tightrope procedure. There you go, tightrope. MRI showed sprains in hard-to-reach places, suffered a ligament strain in his left knee versus UNI and missed three games. Summary. Hybrid tight end, inline, wing, and slot in the Jackrabbits' balanced offense after passing on lucrative NIL offers and returning to Brookings. 
uh, for what NFL scouts expected to be his breakout season, but ankle injury in the first quarter of the opener versus Iowa curtailed that plan. He still returned and helped the program win 2022 FCS National Championship. As a pass catcher, Kraft is an outstanding catch-and-go creator with fluid adjustment skills and balanced feet. As a blocker, he might not be polished, but he gets after it with body control and desire to sustain and finish blocks. Since 1976, South Dakota State has only produced two top 100 draft picks, and both were tight ends, Dallas Goddard and Steve Hyden. Kraft should be the third. Overall, Kraft needs development time to refine his route running and blocking technique, but he is big, strong, and athletic with the ball skills and blocking tenacity. To evolve into an NFL starter, his play style and talent are reminiscent of Foster Moreau, second round, number 51 overall. So, again, according to him, great value for both tight ends. Differing people disagree, disagree obviously. The other thing, again, that, that um, is important is when I went back and watched him, I, I was immediately dismissive of him because he ran a 4-7. But again, he improved that 40 time relatively significantly. I mean, 4-7 is slow. 4-6-2 is pretty quick for a tight end, as, as weird as that sounds. I shouldn't say 4-7 is slow, but you're, you're not a speed threat as a tight end. 4-6-2, that's right where all the other guys are, including, I think, Musgrave, right? It wasn't he 4-6-1? PFF had Tucker Craft number six. Uh, tight end number 74 overall. So PFF is not, just for just so you know, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm guessing when PFF comes out with their grades for us, it's not going to be very good. They're not going to like it very much. They have not really liked our picks in terms of where they line up on their board. All right, let's uh, cut to the chase here. Pros, they have moves like an athlete, very smooth in every everything he does, very natural runner, plus body control and full display and open field, well-proportioned tight end who utilizes size advantage, plays through contact with ease. Cons, Look like a man amongst boys on low level of competition. Some aspects won't translate. That was kind of my problem with him as I'm watching him against lower level con, uh, competition. And I don't even know if I would have said man amongst boys. <laughs> it's kind of a boy amongst boys. But anyways, speed isn't going to scare linebackers. Much more of an underneath threat. Drop issues are worth mentioning. Seven drops in 2021 and a 10.8% drop rate in his career. Uh, player comp is Heath Miller. No issue with that, really. His route running heat map is the most absurd thing I've ever seen. Is he a running back? There is like a a, a two foot by two foot part of the field that is behind the line of scrimmage, slightly offset to the right. I mean, is this a route tree or where he lined up? I don't understand. That's the only area where it's red. Everything else is blue, as in below average frequency in those areas. Okie dokie. Uh, where he wins, fluidity. Kraft wins due to how easily he can move when asked to deviate from straight line. He's the kind of tight end who can easily run a full route tree at the next level. There's just not many six foot four, 250 plus pound tight ends who move that easily in space. I look forward to going back and watching that. What's his role in line tight end? Kraft has ideal size and route running ability to be an NFL uh, offense's inline option. His ability to work through traffic over the middle and field is exactly what you want from an NFL tight end. The, the other thing that's so obvious and awesome about this is not only do we get where the um, the draft is heavy, which is tight end, but we picked up the two remaining tight end positions that we don't have. We have Josiah DeGuara. We need Robert Tunyon, Lucas Musgrave, and we need a, a, a Mercedes Lewis, Tucker Craft. I mean, it's just, it's, again... Don't know if the picks are any good, but from a process and philosophy and getting pieces that we really need, how, how that comes together with need, this is a beautiful draft. I just got to convince myself they're good players. I got to go back and watch and find something I like. Where he can improve run blocking technique. Kraft has all the physical ability to be an effective blocker at the next level, but he needs to clean up a few things that won't fly against NFL defenders. 
He got by at South Dakota State as a as a uh, position blocker with wide hands. Once he's engaged, he can rely uh, really drive into his lower half, but he'll have to take uh, the fight to the defenders quicker and with higher hands at the next level. Advanced data, uh, 76.5 receiving grade, 70 run blocking grade, 63 red zone grade, 2.32 yards per route run is solid. Um, his best out of 10 things, route running 7 out of 10, block willingness 7 out of 10. And then his uh, testing is just absurd. Kraft is no freak by any means, but he's a solid and well-rounded athlete. He can win at the tight end position, especially at his size. Pretty much everything's right at the 60th percentile. His height, his weight, um, 40-yard dash, 20-yard shuttle. The uh, and, and again, his 40-yard dash was low. He ran faster than that at his pro day. Which, by the way, they're also talking about how his speed is not going to be able to win or any of that kind of stuff. They're going off of his 4.69 time. But his best being his broad jump at 10-2, which is a little over 80th percentile. Finally, they said, Kraft may not have the eye-popping physical abilities of others in the class, but he ticks all the boxes of a starting tight end in the NFL. All right, I got to get out of here. It is 9.30, so I have got to get ready for the draft immediately. You guys have a great day. Again, sorry I got this out late to you, but it is what it is, mate. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.